0: Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to your word now and we don't come to your word with blank slates. Father, our hearts are heavy with the events of the world around us. And we want to see truth and we want to see Jesus. We want to know how to love you and to follow him but it's hard and we're hurting. Lord, we even this week have remembered the tragic murder at the Pulse nightclub. We're still in the midst of a nation overcome with the sin of racism and trying to figure out what to do with that. And we're still suffering with a global pandemic. Father, we need you, and we cling. We cling to your word now in trust. We're grateful, just providentially, Lord, that you would speak to us through your servant Paul today because it's peace that we need. And we boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint us because God, you, your love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So we return to you now. We return to your word. You are our master. We want to know how to follow you in these uncertain times. And we ask that you would do this for us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? A follower. Ooh, that word follower. Uh, the first thing some of us think of when we hear the word follower is probably Instagram or Facebook, right? It's that influ- influencer that we follow or that YouTuber uh Uh, that we follow or uh, someone on Facebook that we we should have unfollowed weeks ago because of their annoying posts, right? Or when we hear the word follower, we remember our parents telling us, don't be a follower, be a leader, right? Or when we hear the word follower, we think of some group of brainwashed, Kool-Aid drinking cult people out in the desert, followers. Some of us think follower, I follow no one. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, there are lots of misconceptions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only is the word follower difficult, but what it means to follow Jesus over time has been debated. One misconception teaches that to follow Christ means to be an admirer of his teachings. I mean, that's, that's obviously a great place to start. But historically speaking, Christians did not give their lives because of they admired Jesus's teachings, right? Another misconception is that you can follow Jesus Christ, but not follow his followers. Did you follow that? You can follow Jesus Christ, but do away with the church. Um, I understand this take because I will be the first to tell you Christians are not always the best examples of Jesus Christ. And yet all the the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all pitch the story of Jesus calling His disciples to us in such a way that you cannot divorce Jesus and His followers. They can't be separated. The calling of his disciples was an extension of himself and his ministry. You can't divide Jesus and his followers any more than you can divide the Father from the Son or the Son from the Father or the Spirit from both. Some even make the opposite mistake. And they say, you know, I, what, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ in that, um, Christianity is an institution of social change and activism, and I'm on board with that. But don't talk to me about the actual claims of the namesake leader when he said, I'm the only way to God. Don't go there. So, lots of misconceptions, and we could go on and on about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe there's something in the gospel passage today in this story of Jesus calling his disciples that can correct our misconceptions and even invite us further in as followers of Jesus. For the next two weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, We're going to be seeking an answer to the question of what it means to be a follower of Jesus from Matthew chapter 10. The assigned reading for both this week and next week is chapter 10. It's one, as you could tell, one long section of scripture. Specifically, we're going to look at four truths of what it means to follow Jesus, two this week and two next week. Let me give you all four of them right now so you know where we're going And then we'll move into the first two. Here they are. What it means to be a follower of Jesus from Matthew 10. First, being a follower of Jesus means you are summoned by him. You are summoned by him. Second, it means being submissive to him. Summoned by him, submissive to him. Next week, we'll see that being a follower of Jesus means to be sent for Jesus. And it also means to suffer with him. In fact, if you look at these four truths, you could sort of collapse them into two because really followers of Christ are actually summoned by Jesus to submit to him and then sent by Jesus in order to suffer with him. They work together. Summoned, submissive, sent, and suffering. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ from Matthew 10. So let's dig in. If you have a Bible or you're able to access Matthew 10 online, do it now. We're looking at actually the end of chapter nine, beginning at verse 35 and then moving into 10. Are you a follower of Jesus? What does this mean? First, followers of Jesus are summoned by him. We are called, we are invited. Chapter 10, verse one, then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. You know, one of the unique ways that Matthew tells the story of Jesus is by highlighting with with, uh, forms and paradigms and motifs and images from the Old Testament, the way that Jesus continues that story, the story that's been from the beginning, from Genesis. And therefore, for us to understand the significance of Jesus summoning and sending his 12 disciples here in Matthew 10, we've got to remember that from the earliest pages of the scriptures, God has been summoning and sending humanity. It's a thing. It's a motif. It's a paradigm. He summons and he sends. He summons and he sends. He calls to Moses from the burning bush and sends him to rescue Israel. He calls to Samuel as a boy in the temple and sends him to prophesy to Israel. He summons and sends the prophet Isaiah, saying, Who will go for me? He summons Noah and sends him to build an ark, and on and on. Now, just as God summoned and sent the 12 tribes of Israel, God summons and sends the 12 disciples through Jesus to be ambassadors for the kingdom. This this may seem simplistic, right? It's but but it it can't be it can't be overstated. We become followers of Jesus because Jesus has called us. He's summoned us. In essence, God makes the first move. He pursues us. No one seeks God, the psalmist says. God seeks us. We don't find God even on our spiritual searches and journeys. Of course, that's how we would talk about our spiritual searches and journeys. We're looking for something, but we don't realize that God's been looking for us. The scriptures teach that sin has so blinded us, we can't even see to reach out for help. God has to reach into our stories and grab us by the heart. It was true in the Old Testament. It was true for Jesus' disciples in t- chapter 10, and it's true for us today. So the question is how is or has God summoned you? You say, Josh, I um, consider myself a follower of Christ. I don't know what you mean by, by God calling me um, or summoning me. Well, what does that even mean? There's a few different possibilities. Um, For some of us, God's call came suddenly, unexpectedly, unpredictably, mystically even. And we heard Him in a near-fatal car wreck or at rock bottom of our addiction or on a hotel balcony where despair had almost won. This is how, by the way, St. Augustine of Hippo came to follow Christ. It was sudden and immediate and mystical during a low point in his life. Listen to this from the Confessions. Now, when deep reflection had drawn up out of the secret depths of my soul, all my misery and had heaped it up before the side of my heart, Augustine writes, I stole away, and flung myself down under a fig tree and gave free course to my tears. I sent up these sorrowful cries to God, how long, how long? Tomorrow and tomorrow? Why not now, God? Why not this very hour make an end to my uncleanness? I was saying these things and weeping in the most bitter contrition of my heart. When suddenly I heard the voice of a boy or a girl, I know not which coming from the neighboring house, chanting over and over again, pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. So damning the torrent of my tears, I got to my feet, for I couldn't but think that this was a divine command to open the Bible and read the first passage I should light upon. Pause. That's not always a good Bible study tool, okay? Continue, I snatched up the Apostle's book, opened it, and in silence read the paragraph on which my eyes first fell, quote, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, by the way, this had been part of Augustine's story, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Augustine closes with this. I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to, for instantly as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. For some of us in our stories, what it, has, uh, what it means to be that we've been called by God is that it was a sudden thing, an immediate thing, a mystical thing, and praise the Lord for it. For others, God summoned us over time, over long periods of time, Jennifer Fulweiler is a a blogger at conversiondiary.com. She's a, a Catholic blogger. She was an atheist all her life. She jokes that literally her dad read Carl Sagan's Cosmos to her in bed at night before she went to sleep as a kid. Talk about atheist. Jennifer heard God's call, though, years later, after marriage, In the midst, in the first moments of holding her brand newborn baby boy and feeling a love for him that she just knew, she just knew a purely rationalist, materialist worldview could not account for. And so after studying the world's major religions, she found herself drawn more and more and more to an encounter with Jesus Christ. For some of us, God has summoned us over time. Now, for many in liturgical traditions like our church, if you grew up here, you were baptized here, you were confirmed here, you've been to Eucharist almost every week, you come to midday Eucharist all the time. If this is you, you say, I don't know. I don't ever remember God calling me. He's just always been on the line. Well, the way we think about God's calling for in liturgical Christianity is sort of like that. He he called you at baptism and he came to you in the bread and wine every week at Eucharist. And he confirmed the faith that he put in you at baptism when you were perhaps a teenager in confirmation. And in all the other sacramental rituals of the church, God has been calling you. You may not have realized it all the moments it was happening, but he was graciously making the first move and pursuing your heart. To be a follower of Jesus means to be summoned by God. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down thou weary one. Lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was. I uh, weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad. To be a follower is to be summoned. Here's the second point. To be a follower of Jesus means to be submissive to him. Submission, ooh, that is a hard word. Cindy Featherman, a blogger, writes, submission, obedience, subordination, allegiance, reverence, trust, and self-denial. This is at the heart of discipleship. It acknowledges the lordship of Jesus over every aspect of life. The concept of submission involves relinquishing one's individual rights in favor of another. In fact, it's only through complete submission that a follower of Jesus is able to open one's heart to the Holy Spirit. Partial submission is not even an option for one who calls Jesus Lord. Have you been summoned? And are you submissive? Are you submissive? Where do we see this in our text today? To be a follower means to be submissive well, let me take you back to the end of chapter 9. This is a contextual point. It sort of surrounds our passage. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, Matthew writes, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. When he saw the crowds, note that word crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, and he gives the teaching crowd disciples, crowd disciples. Note the distinction. There are crowds for whom Jesus feels compassion, but then there are disciples to whom Jesus addresses his teaching. What you need to know in, in reading Matthew's gospel, this is one of the tools that he uses to carry his plot along is he lays out three responses to Jesus. The crowds are one response, the disciples are the second response, and the religious leaders are the third. And as Jesus interacts with these three groups of, groups of people, the gospel story moves forward further along. So the disciples, of course, are the ones who submit to Jesus. The religious leaders are the ones who are against Jesus, and the crowds are unsure. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Then he said to his disciples, and then the rest of chapter 10 are his instructions to his disciples. The difference between the crowd and the disciples is that the disciples have been summoned and they have submitted to Jesus. A few chapters later in Matthew uh, 16, the gospel writer says it explicitly to the disciples through Jesus. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose, lose their life for my sake will find it. So have you submitted to Jesus Christ? Have you submitted? There's no way around the difficulty of this truth. As you might guess, um, this is the part of the Christian uh, faith that gets really uncomfortable. Not just for proud 21st century Americans who don't like to submit to anybody, but for all humanity, right? Humanity and power, that's an awful relationship over the centuries. We either abuse it or we shrink from it when it's most needed. The past few weeks, the past few weeks, the sin of racism is only made more despicable as it's placed alongside an abuse of power. Probably the refrain I hear most from people who want nothing to do with Christianity it's something like, why would I believe or submit my life to God who wants to take away X from me? Why would I do that? And yet the teaching of Christianity from Genesis to Revelation is clear. To be a follower of Jesus is to submit to Him, to come under His authority, to do what He says, to let Him meddle in every part of my life, to forsake Any other claim on my life to serve him. I want to close then by offering you perhaps a glimpse of what Jesus means by submission in a way that might, I don't know that it'll make it any easier, but it might help you reconsider. What does submission look like? If being a follower means to be summoned in order to submit to Jesus, what does Jesus mean by submission? It's so awesome that literally one chapter later, there's another page in your Bible, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to his disciples and listen to these words. He says, come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. A yoke is placed over the head and shoulders of a farm animal, such as an ox or horse, that enable it to work, James Montgomery Boyce writes. It's also a rod under which people were sometimes required to pass in order to show allegiance to someone who had just conquered them. It can also refer to a scholar submitting to the academic discipline of a professor. Here's the point. All of these images of yoke, whatever yoke entails, is what Jesus means by submission. Take my yoke upon you. Submit to me. And he calls all of them easy and light. Why? Because he's a different kind of master, a different kind of ruler, a different kind of professor. I am gentle and humble in heart. Submission to me isn't for the strong, by the way. Right? This is what he opens with. It's for the weary and heavy burdened. It's for people who need rest. Being a follower of Jesus means to be summoned by Him and then to submit to Him. But there's a catch and it's a beautiful gospel catch. Submission is probably nothing like what you think of. You have never met a master like Jesus. So brothers and sisters, hear this call today to submit to the God who even now is summoning you afresh. I close with the words of Pastor Boyce, his invitation to all of us. Jesus is all you or any other poor, struggling and burdened soul will ever truly need. Why struggle further in your sin? You're laboring onward, distressed at the burden on your back. No earthly master will ever lift that burden. In fact, many will add to it. Most will ignore it since they've got burdens of their own. Turn from lesser masters to the great and good master. Turn from lesser teachers to him who can teach true godliness and whose teaching will save your soul. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.